Praise the Lord. If you brought a Bible, please go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't panic. We'll have it up here on the screen in just a moment. Or you can find it on your digital device. Deuteronomy chapter 1 this morning, beginning at verse 6. Last week we began a new sermon series entitled, Taste the Grapes. And I shared with you that the grapes represent the promised land that God has for your life. The grapes in the Old Testament were a picture of what you and I enjoy in the New Covenant. They represent the goodness of God. They also represent the fulfilled promises of God in your life. And above all, these grapes represent the new covenant. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, took a cup and he, he had wine in it, grape juice. And he said, this is a new covenant. And with that new covenant, he gave to each of us the sweet savor of walking in fellowship with God. And so we're talking about in this series about tasting the grapes because God doesn't just want you to dream about someday maybe experiencing the answers to your prayers. But he wants you today. Can you say today? He wants you today, right now, in this generation to experience his goodness. And the, the, the psalmist David, he said it like this. He said, I would have given up. If I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Now David was saying something very important there. He was saying, I'm not waiting for heaven. I'm not waiting to die to see the goodness of God. Say amen, somebody. If you're waiting for heaven, you're missing out. Because Jesus taught us to pray like this. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, right here today, as it is in heaven. So God doesn't just want you to wait for heaven to experience his goodness. He wants you to experience him today. To see him bless your life today. And to walk in all the fullness of that new covenant. So we're going to continue with this sermon series out of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. The Lord our God spoke to us at Oreb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Say, long enough. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast the land of the Canaanites and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Now I'll flip the page there and go to Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 3. And the Lord again says to Israel, you have circled this mountain long enough. Say long enough. Now turn northward. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the anointing of the Spirit, which is upon my lips of clay, to preach the word of the living God. I ask that you would anoint me to preach, and that you would anoint this congregation to hear the word and receive it as good seed sown into the good soil of their hearts. And I pray that you would move us into a dimension of faith such as we have never walked in before. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I shared with you last time that the book of Deuteronomy is the second law. The nation of Israel experienced a mighty deliverance by God from Egyptian slavery, from bondage. And the generation that came out of that bondage came to the very edge of the promised land and they experienced some of the most extraordinary, perhaps the most extraordinary miracles of the entire Bible. This generation experienced the parting of the Red Sea. They saw God bring plagues upon Israel, upon Egypt. They experienced manna from heaven. They ate of the manna that God provided. This generation saw God lead them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day as they walked through the wilderness. And yet when they came to the promised land, they were unable to enter into the promised land because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that they did not mix what they knew with faith. This generation failed to enter the promised land. They failed to enter the promises of God. And that just goes to prove, ladies and gentlemen, that there is a possibility that although you are a Christian, that you will not experience all that God has for you to experience in this life if you walk in unbelief. That God was not to be outdone because His program and His purpose never depends on one single person. God always has a plan. And so God raised up a second generation, a generation that would believe him, a generation that would take him at his word, a generation of faith. And I declare this morning that I am a part of that second generation. How many of you are a part of the faith generation? All of us have a choice. We have a choice to walk in unbelief and to miss the promised land that God has for us and never taste the grapes. Or we have the choice to walk by faith and to experience all that God has promised to us and to taste the grapes of the goodness of God. I, for one, want to walk in the faith that God has provided for me. How many of you want to walk by faith? The Bible is a book of faith. And when you read the book of Deuteronomy, you find that there is a key word in the book of Deuteronomy there are several key words uh, that I would mention, but the one that I want you to think about this morning is the word possess. It is this word that implies that there is something that you and I can enter into, that you and I can possess. And this possession comes to us by faith. When you buy a house and you uh, sign the contract and you give them the money and all these exchanges have been made you are told in the contract when you will have possession of that house. 
And they give you a key. And according to the contract, if it says you can have possession on Tuesday, then you can enter that house on Tuesday and you can move in and you can do all that you want to do with that house because you have now possessed it. Well, God speaks to the nation of Israel and he speaks to us this morning. And he says, I have a promised land that I have secured for you and I want you to possess it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to experience all that I have for you. I want you to experience the fullness and the glories of this land. You know, there is a need in our day for this faith that moves us toward possessing the promises of God. I don't want you to be a church that just hopes that someday God is going to work on your behalf. But I want you to be a church that has developed its faith such that you believe that God is the God for today. That God is able to meet his words and to keep his promises to you today. Say amen, somebody. Say, say this, faith is for today. You know, a lot of people have faith in yesterday. They have faith in what God did in the past. And they speak a lot like this. They say, well, it, you know, back in the day, back in the good old days, God was moving. God was working. God was providing. Oh, if we could just get back to those days. I say, no way, Jose. I'm not going back for nothing. God does not have a reverse in his, in his work. God is always moving forward. Say amen, somebody. And so he comes to the nation of Israel. He comes to this second generation. And he says to them, you have been going around this mountain long enough. It's time for you to move on. It's time for you to move forward. You can't live in yesterday. You can't live in the past because faith is for today. Say it again. Faith is for today. Other people, they have faith for tomorrow. They don't necessarily believe God will do anything today, but they have some hope that God might do something tomorrow. And they talk like this. They say, well, in the sweet by and by, over on the other side of the Jordan. And they say, Lord, build my mansion just over that hilltop. They're talking about heaven. They're talking about dying and going to heaven. And they say, someday I'm going to taste the grapes over in glory land. Well, guess what? I believe in heaven. Say amen, somebody. I believe there is a mansion built for us over there. Say amen, somebody. But I don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience the goodness of God. Somebody say amen. God wants you to enjoy him today. Now, the Bible tells us about a, a couple of sisters, and they were Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha had yesterday and tomorrow faith. When Jesus came to Bethany, he came four days after the death of their brother. Now, they had encouraged Jesus to come before he died, and Jesus didn't come, and so Lazarus died. And now Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so when Jesus is talking to these sisters, the first one comes to him, and she says, Lord, if you had been here yesterday, my brother would not have died. She had yesterday faith. The next one came to him and she said, Lord, if you, uh, uh, she said, I know that in the resurrection, Lazarus is going to live again. So she had tomorrow faith. 
But Jesus came to bring them a revelation. He said, wait a minute, ladies. I am the resurrection and the life. What was he saying? I am the God of the now. I am the God of today. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about a God who might. I'm not talking about a God who did. I'm talking about a God who is and who is moving on your behalf so that you can experience his goodness today. God says to Israel, you have gone around this mountain long enough. Somebody say this, enough is enough. There comes a moment in your spiritual life where you have to decide enough is enough. And I hope that moment is this morning for somebody. I hope that somebody this morning has said, you know what, I have gone around the same problem, around the same addiction, around the same disease, around the same lack, around the same losses, over and over again. I am done with that. I am ready to move on. Say amen, somebody. I am ready to go forward. I am ready to possess the land that God has for me to possess. Now notice with me Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 6 through 8 because there are some important instructions that God gives to the nation of Israel so that they might move in to the faith of today. In verse 6, he says to them, see, somebody say see, a people who are going to possess the promised land and a people who are going to taste the grapes have to have vision. You know that when you and I are, are lost in sin, when you were living without God in your life, you were blind. The Bible said that we were blind and groping in the darkness and looking for somebody to lead us. That is the natural spiritual condition of any person living without God. But when you come to God, God opens your eyes so that he says to you, see. I want you to look and I want you to see the things that I am doing in your life. And this morning, there are a great number of you that need some spiritual vision. You need to be able to see what God sees so that you can walk into the promised land of God. Listen, you will never possess something which you cannot first see in your spirit. You will never move into that house. You will never obtain that promotion. You will never find that spouse if you cannot first see it in your spirit and know that it is there even before you have laid claim to it. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a faith that sees what is unseen. Faith does not look at the natural. Faith looks into the supernatural. Faith looks into a place that is spiritual. And I, I am convinced this morning that there are some people, hopefully not too many in here, but I guess there might be a few. There are some people who lack the ability to see. And some people are unhappy because uh, they want to be. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Let me explain to you. Some people are unhappy because they want to be. They have a good house. They have a good car. They have a good job. They have a sound family. They have a good marriage. They have a strong, uh, they have a sound financial life. And yet, they're driving down the road unhappy. They're going through life unhappy, miserable. And you understand that this is because they cannot see what is right in their life. They cannot see and evaluate that they are already enjoying the promised land. Listen, 
There are some of you this morning that are sitting in the blessing of God and you don't know it because you have adopted the wrong attitude. You have adopted a mentality that says it's not enough, that it's not good enough. And so long as you have that mentality, all you can see is the negative, the downside, the part that doesn't work. All you can see is what you're lacking. And God wants you to open your spiritual eyes and he wants you to taste and see that the Lord is good and that God has deposited some blessings in your life. Say, Lord, help me to see. You see, happiness... Uh, comes from the word luck. All right, now, the Bible has nothing to do with luck, all right? Luck is not in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. I want you to understand this. The, the, the word happy comes from an old English word, which means luck. And this is what happiness is. Basically, happiness is, is depending upon what happens to you. If you feel like the right things happen to you, if you feel like you had some good luck, you're happy. And if you feel like the wrong things happen to you, and if you feel like uh, that you had some bad luck, you're unhappy. And your, your feelings are based upon what's going on in your life. But God is calling us to a higher place. This place is a place of joy. And this place of joy does not depend upon what happened to me because luck and God have no are not partners. This depends, this joy depends upon who I am and whose I am and the fact that I have a relationship with God. Say amen, somebody. And so some people are just unhappy because they want to be. They are seeing with the natural eye. They are focusing on the things that they are lacking. And I want you to know, that this form of life, this attitude will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your relationship with your children. It will destroy your career. I want you to see that God has already blessed you. And that you're not where you were when God started. So get excited about it. God is on the move. Enjoy the goodness of God today. Enjoy what God is doing in your life today. Rejoice in it. Celebrate it. Experience it. In order to do that, you must be willing to go forward. God says to Israel, you've gone long enough around this mountain. So I want you to see where I'm taking you. Then he says, I. Now, what are we looking at? What is the object of our attention? He says, look, see that I have done this. God is saying, I want you to put your attention, your focus on me. Glue your eyes to me. Make me the centerpiece of your, of your life. Because you see, when all you can see is your lack, you're not walking in faith. You're walking in unbelief. When you look at the problem and you look at the situation that's against you, all you can see is trouble. God says, don't look at the problem, look at me. Say amen, somebody. Don't look at the crisis, look at me. Why do we look at God? Because God doesn't have a problem. Say amen, somebody. God doesn't have a sickness. God does not have any lack. God is not panicking. God is not in trouble. Come on, somebody. God is the, the one we look to because God is the one who can help. He is the one that has the resources that you need. So you look to God. Because if you look to God, you're going to see the goodness of God in your life. 
when he becomes the, the, uh, the, the object of your faith and the object of your attention. The, the writer of the Hebrew to the Hebrews. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why Jesus? Well, there are many reasons, but I'll give you two real quick. First of all, we put our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is our example. He is the perfect man. And what he wants us to see is that everything that he possessed, he possessed for you and he possessed for me. Jesus possessed the promised land and so Jesus wants you to look at him. Because if you look at him, you're going to discover that everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you. Listen, if Jesus is righteous, you're righteous. If Jesus is holy, you're holy. If Jesus is whole, you're whole. If Jesus is right with God, you're right with God. Come on, somebody. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You put your eyes on anything but Jesus, and you're going to end up disappointed. I guarantee it. You put your eyes on a car. That car is going to rust. If you put your eyes on a house, that house is going to grow old. If you put your eyes on a man or woman, that man or woman's going to die someday. But when you put your eyes on Jesus, Jesus doesn't rust. Jesus doesn't grow old, and Jesus has already died. He conquered the, the grave, and he is alive forevermore. So keep looking to him. Now, the second reason we look to Jesus is because Jesus is the promised land. Listen, Jesus is the promised land. Everything that Israel was in the physical, in the natural, was pointing to the fact that Jesus was the promised land, that there was one person in whom you could find all the sufficiency that you need. Listen, everything that's in the promised land is in Jesus. Jesus is the land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus is the land of rest and of peace. Jesus is the place where you have streams of living water flowing for eternal life. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about Jesus. He is the promised land. The book of Hebrews, again, it says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they journeyed looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. They weren't looking for heaven. They were looking for a person. They were looking for a man. They were looking for a man so awesome that he was like a city. And in that city was every need provided that you would ever have. Can I tell you, I found who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were looking for. His name is Jesus. He is the promised land of God. And when you experience Jesus... You are experiencing the best of God. You are experiencing the goodness of God. He says, see, I have placed before you the land. Now, to tell us that you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. So what does that mean? That means if somebody gives you something, you don't ask questions. But I want us to ask a question this morning. What kind of land... Has God given me? Now, I have a little problem this morning, and that's that many of you don't think I'm talking about you. You think I'm talking about your neighbor. Oh, yeah, Pastor I is talking to that family next to us. That promised land, that's for, that's for First Baptist. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking to somebody else. I said, I'm not talking to somebody else. 
I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you. I said, I'm talking to you. I want you to imagine that you come to church this morning and I'm reading the will that God set left for you and that will is being read for you this morning and you're the only person in the room. I want you to hear every single word I say this morning as being spoken directly to you. Come on, somebody. This promise is for you. This promised land belongs to you. And it's, it's natural as well as spiritual. You see, the promised land is spiritual. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. But it's also natural. It's the blessing of God on your physical body, your health. It's the blessing of God on your finances. It's the blessing of God on your property. Come on, somebody. It's the blessing of God over every area and aspect of your life. Say this with me. The promised land belongs to me. Listen, God wants you to taste the grapes. God wants you to enjoy his goodness. He doesn't want you to just clap when you hear about what he's doing in somebody else's life. He wants you to enjoy this for yourself. And he says, I have set before you the land. So we're going to ask a question this morning. What kind of land is this? What kind of land is the promised land? Well, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, if you read through Deuteronomy, you find, first of all, the Bible uses this phrase many times. It says, it is a good land. Say, good land. Now listen, there is such a thing, maybe, as bad land. Land where nothing grows. Land where you can't build anything. Land that might be flooded. Land that's not useful for much. But God says, I have given you good land. What kind of land? Listen, he said this is good land. That means when you put a seed in the ground, you're going to have a good harvest. Say amen, somebody. That means that whatever I've given to you is good. And so when you look around and you say, look, God, I know you've done some things in my life, but I can't seem to discern what's going on here. You need to know this at least. God has given me a good land. He has given me a good life. He has given me a good ministry, a good marriage. He's given me good children. Come on, somebody. This is a good land. He said it's a good land filled with good cities. And those cities are filled with good houses. And the houses are filled with good things. Does that sound good? I hope you hope I'm talking to you. Because I am talking to you. God said, I have a good land for you. And it is full of good things. Another phrase describes the land as a land flowing with milk and honey. A land full of sweetness. Another place, the Bible said that in that land, every man will sit under his vine and fig tree and will be afraid of nothing. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the promised land that God has for you. He says it will be a land of houses that you didn't build. Wells you didn't dig. Vineyards you didn't plant. A land full of, of, of a harvest. A land full of the blessings of God. 
How was this land secured? It was secured through the blood of Jesus. And the blessing of God is upon you because of the blood of Christ. The Bible said that the blessing of Abraham has come upon you, the Gentiles, because of the grace of God revealed through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so go in and possess the land. Go in and enjoy the land. Now, this series is about some very practical things. I want you, first of all, to learn to expect greater things from God. That was weak. I said, I want you to learn to expect greater things from God. You know that, that a good number of us who grew up Pentecostal, we kind of grew up expecting to come to church and get whooped on for a little while and then uh, you go to the altar and you cry and you feel better about yourself and then you go on home and just live your pobrecito little life. Not at Kingsway Church. Come on somebody, I said not at Kingsway Church. Come on, I believe that the best is yet to come. I said I believe that the best is yet to come. In fact, I have a consciousness in my spirit that blessings for me and for you are on their way right now and they're going to meet you on the road. Come on, somebody. God wants you to possess the land. He wants you to enter into it. He says, take possession of it. How do we do that? How do we possess the land? We have to retrain our mind. We have to retrain our thinking to think like promised land thinkers. You see, the old generation was a generation of works and law. A generation that walked under the constant condemnation of their sin. Listen, so long as you are walking with the awareness of your past, you cannot walk in faith. When you are walking in condemnation and feeling guilty about who you were and what you did and how you did it and who you did it with, you are not walking in faith. You are walking in unbelief. So there is required a change of thinking. That change of thinking comes by way of the grace of God. When you come into this house, you come in knowing my sins have been forgiven. My delinquency has been erased. I am right with God through the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. I am no longer a slave to sin or my past. I have a new life. And every time the devil tries to bring up your old life, just remind him, the blood of Jesus is against you. Every time he tells you, well, I don't know why you're going to that church. We'll see how long this lasts. We'll see how long this lasts. Oh, you started tithing. We'll see how long that lasts. You tell him, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I am in covenant with God. Come on, somebody. I am in covenant with God, and God is good to me. God is good over my life. It requires a change of the way we think in order to possess this land. Really, ultimately, what it requires is that we get into faith. Say that with me. Get in faith. The, the people of Israel that missed out on the promised land missed out because of unbelief. But those who entered, entered because of faith. 
And everything we receive from God, we receive by faith. Listen, you can't get saved without faith. You can't get baptized in the Holy Spirit without faith. You can't get healed without faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the Bible said that faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing, not gossip, not Fox News, not the novellas, not Netflix. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Say amen, somebody. Listen, when I was a young man, a younger man, I, I, I used to have a lot of cassette tapes. You guys remember cassette tapes? And then, uh, because I would listen to sermons on cassette tapes. And sometimes I would listen to those sermons so many times that it would sound like, you know, and I knew it was time to move on. But, but there, was, there was the word of God that was coming into my spirit, and I was being nourished on the word. Then we moved up, right? We got into CDs. And so then I, I, would, I would get my CDs with sermons, and I would listen to those over and over again till they would get scratched. You know what I'm talking about? And then the preacher would get stuck on one word. Yes, 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 yes. All right, it's time for something else. And so then we moved on to the MP3 player. And some of you still don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you're too young to know the glories of God yet. But no, we got to the MP3 player, so I would download so many sermons on that thing because I wanted to hear the word of God. And so now we've gotten to where we can download sermons and, and get the word just about anywhere you want. But what am I telling you? I have nourished my life on the word word of God because faith comes by hearing hearing the word of God come on somebody you've got to get in faith and if you're going to get in faith you got to get in the word oh but pastor I don't have time to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day let me tell you what if you get one of those little loaf of breads with Bible verses in it, just read one of those verses every day, and that thing will get you going for 24 hours. Come on, somebody. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And when you hear the word, it produces faith. God said to the people, I have set the land before you. They haven't gone in yet. They haven't crossed the Jordan. They haven't even left the mountain. But they are hearing the word of God. And when they hear the word of God, the word of God produces faith in their life. Listen, if you want to possess the land, you're going to have to get in the word. And you're going to have to believe the word that you hear. You're going to have to mix the word that you hear with faith. Listen, I've preached some sermons in here. I, I don't mind telling you, some of them are really good sermons. But, but some of you have not mixed what you heard with faith. You just heard and said, oh, a pastor was on fire today. Praise God, we have a good pastor. He really knows how to bring it. But you haven't brought it yourself. You haven't mixed any faith into that thing. You've got to get the word and mix in your own faith. Come on, somebody. You've got to believe the word that's being preached. Believe the word that's being taught because faith is what produces in you that ability to get up and go and possess the land. I want to mention two things about faith before I close. First of all, I want you to understand this. Faith creates enthusiasm. 
When you walk in faith, you will have enthusiasm. What is enthusiasm? Enthusiasm is a, an, an intense enjoyment from giving approval to something. Listen, when you believe God, you're giving approval to his word. You're saying, yes, what God has said, I believe it. And that produces excitement in your spiritual life. It produces uh, a, 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 an enthusiasm in your spirit. Literally, the word enthusiasm, get this, the word enthusiasm literally means to be in theos, in God, to be possessed by God. Listen, when you get in the word, the word gets into you. When you get into God, God, God possesses your life, and he puts in you energy that you didn't have. And listen, if you're going to possess the promised land, you're going to need some enthusiasm. You're going to need some passion, some excitement. Nobody ever possessed the promised land by showing up and saying, well, you know, I was hoping maybe you would let me in today because I, I, I really would like to be a part of the promised land. No, when you show up in the promised land, there's rivers that are flooded. There's giants that are scarier than anything you ever saw. There are some problems in that land. You got to show up in there with some passion. You got to show up in there with some enthusiasm and say nothing and nobody is going to stop me from possessing the promise of God for my life. Say amen, somebody. You know, maybe this happened to you when, uh, when you were younger. Your mom or your dad said, go take out the trash. And there you were taking out the trash. And they said, because they were Hispanic, they said, con ganas. Come on, that's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about serving God con ganas. Get some excitement. Get some passion in your life. Come on, we're going to the promised land. Tell your neighbor, con ganas. No, 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 no. You got to do it like this. You got to go like this. Con ganas. Come on, somebody. Say it, con ganas. You guys forgot you were Mexican. I don't know what the word is in South Africa, all right, sister? But in, in uh, Texas, we say enthusiasm, ganas. Oh, I would go to church this morning, but I really don't feel like it. I'm just not feeling it. I would raise my hands and worship the Lord, but I just don't have any ganas. <laughs> Pastor, I would read my Bible every day, but I get home and I'm tired and I just don't have any ganas. Well, you're not going to have any ganas to get into the promised land. It's going to require passion. It's going to require passion. Listen, think about this woman in the Bible. She had a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. And not only that, but as if that were bad enough, but she spent all her money on doctors and only grew worse. Do you think she had ganas? If you've been 12 for, you've been sick for 12 years, there's not a whole lot of ganas. But this is what she heard. She heard Jesus was coming by. And the word she heard produced faith. And that faith produced ganas. 
And she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And she got herself out of bed, and she got herself dressed, and she got herself on the street, and she touched the hem of his garment, and she entered into her promised land. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a faith that produces passion in your life. I'm enthusiastic about this. That's why you see me smiling. Because I don't serve a broke God. I don't serve a, a dead God. I don't serve a sick God. I serve a God who does what he says. I serve a God whose word is able to quicken the dead and make you alive in the spirit. Come on, somebody. Get some passion for Jesus this morning. Look at what Romans Chapter 11, chapter 12, verse 11 says, it says, do not lag behind in diligence, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Here's the Isaac translation. Serve God with ganas. Tell your neighbor, serve God with ganas. Come on, do you want to possess the promised land? Do you want to possess the promised land? Do you want houses you didn't build? A whole bunch of you are praying, Lord, I need a bigger house. I need a bigger house. And I just ask you, do you want houses you didn't build? He said, well, yeah, that'd be nice. No, con ganas. Do you want houses you didn't build? Do you want wells you didn't dig? Do you want vineyards you didn't plant? Then you've got to have some passion. Faith produces that. Now the second thing faith does is that faith takes responsibility. Every person in here is responsible for their own faith. If you're going to enter the promised land, you're responsible for cultivating your faith, for cultivating your spiritual life. My job is to preach the word, to teach you. But you are responsible for being here and receiving that word with faith. Now listen, I commend you this morning because you took responsibility and you said, no, I can't stay and sleep in. I got to go to church. I can't go eat barbacoa tacos right now. I have to go to church. I've got to feed my spirit. Come on, somebody. When you walk in faith, you are taking responsibility for your life. You're taking responsibility for your family. You're taking responsibility for your marriage. Listen, blind Bartimaeus was on the side of the road, and he heard that Jesus was coming by. He could have just said, well, I hope Jesus notices me. I hope Jesus knows I'm here. But he took responsibility for his miracle. He took responsibility for believing God. And he lifted up his voice and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. He wasn't waiting on Jesus to pick him up out of the crowd. He wasn't waiting on Jesus to call his name. 
He was saying, Jesus, have mercy upon me. He said, Pastor, what does that look like in the real world? I'll tell you what. You're standing at the altar one day, and the evangelist is coming by, and he's praying, and he's laying hands on everybody, and everybody's receiving a miracle. And just about when he's about to lay hands on you, he gets distracted and comes over here to the other side of the altar. And you're standing there saying, oh, that was my minute. God must not have anything for you for me today. No, you walk yourself over here, and you tell him, preacher, lay your hand on me. I've got to have my miracle. Come on, somebody. You you got to take responsibility. Come on, position yourself so that God can bless you. So that God can pour out his grace upon you. The Bible talks about a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And when Jesus came up to him and he asked him, would you like to be made whole? He said, I can't every time. There's a stirring of the pool, and the angel comes to the waters, and I try to get in, but somebody always gets in before me. Listen, he was blaming somebody else for not getting his miracle. When you walk in blame, you are not walking in faith. Listen to me, please. Anytime you start blaming somebody else, you are now canceling out. Your miracle. Because faith takes responsibility. And what happens to us psychologically is that when we shift the blame onto somebody else, we now assume that it's no longer my fault or my problem, so I don't need to change. I have a revelation for you this morning. It's you that needs to change. And when you start shifting blame around, you're not walking in faith. And I'll just give you an example. Look at the racial problem we have in America today. Everybody's blaming everybody else. Listen, if you ask a Hispanic, why can't Hispanics get ahead? They say, well, because Santana lost Texas. All this used to belong to us. And, and uh, uh, you know, Texas took over and now we can't get ahead. I used to say, Pastor, nobody said that. I heard that last week. You go to ask an African-American, why can't African-Americans get ahead? They said, oh, it's because of slavery. Slavery knocked us down. We haven't been able to get back up. You go ask a, 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 an Anglo-Saxon, a, a white person, why can't you get ahead? They said, well, it's because of these illegal immigrants stealing all the jobs. Everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else. What are you going to do? Go join the conversation? No. You wake up tomorrow morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I'm a child of God. Nobody can keep me down. Nobody can keep me out. The, the land belongs to me. Come on, somebody. I don't have to blame anybody. The favor of God is on my life. I said the favor of God is on my life. You can be Hispanic. You can be white. You can be African. You can be, you can be American, whatever you are. Get in faith and God will bless your life. God will bring fruit and blessing into your life. He'll bring you in to the promised land. Take responsibility to believe God. What does that look like? That looks like this. Next time you start feeling unbelief creeping up on you, you take responsibility to get in the word. Listen, some of us 
We know our body well enough to know that when we feel a little chill coming on, we know we got to take some medicine. And some of us know our body well enough that we feel a little, a little insecurity in the, in the pit of our stomach, and we know it's taco time. I want you to know your spiritual man so well that when you feel the slightest hint of unbelief, you say, I've got to get into the word. I've got to hear what God says. I've got to hear the word of God because the word will produce faith in my life. Come on, somebody. You've got to take responsibility for fighting the good fight of faith. You have given this cycle enough time. You've given this level enough time. It's time to go forward. It's time to move on. It's time to grow. It's time to possess the land. Stop fighting over yesterday. Stop fighting over things you can't control. Somebody believe God. Get in faith. Walk in the spirit and you will possess the land of promise. Would you stand with me please? Here's what I want you to do. If you know that enough is enough. And you said this morning, Pastor, enough is enough. I want to go to a new level. I want to enter a new level of faith and commitment to God. I want you to step out of your pew and come into this altar. You've walked around this mountain long enough. You say, I'm ready to go forward. I'm ready to walk in purpose. I'm ready to walk in my divine assignment. I'm ready to walk in the favor of God. Come on, you need, to, you need to get out of that pew. Just take a step of faith this morning. Position yourself so that God can speak to your life. You say, Pastor, there's not much faith in my heart right now. Stir up the faith. Stir up the faith. Mix faith with what you've heard. Mix faith with every sermon you've ever heard. If you want to stay at the mountain, God will let you stay there. You want to stay bitter and unhappy, God will let you stay there. But if you want to move out this morning, if you want to go up this morning, God says, come. I've got better things for you. Because for God's people, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I want you to raise your hands right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Lord Jesus. Help me see what you see. Give me vision. Give me divine perspective. Help me to hear your voice. And let your word produce faith in me. Today by faith, I enter in to a new level. I will walk into my promised land. And not for me only. But for my marriage, and for my children, and for my church, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on now, go to praying. Go to praying. Go to believing. Stir up your faith.
Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are yet to come. Come and walk in it. Almighty God, let the fire of the Spirit produce passion in the soul of your church. Undaunted, we will not be turned back. All of your promises are yes and amen to those that believe.